Section 3.5.3 Lighting a fire under life's hindquarters as an extrinsic motivator to get them to adapt faster. It is the knowledge that I'm going to die that creates the focus that I bring to being alive. The urgency of accomplishment, the need to express love now, not later. If we live forever, why even get out of bed in the morning? Because you always have tomorrow. That's not the kind of life I want to lead. I fear living a life where I could have accomplished something and didn't. Neil deGrasse Tyson Innovation is a tricky thing. As Clay Christensen taught us, the best innovations often don't appear to be better than the status quo. They often have worse performance characteristics. They often look highly inefficient and wasteful, and they routinely don't satisfy an existing need. This leads to the infamous innovator's dilemma, where searching for an innovative strategy is predestined to look like a poor economic decision because it means burning through resources searching for a solution to a problem nobody recognizes yet. For these reasons, the life of an innovator is often characterized by condescension, mockery, and underappreciation. Nevertheless, entropy demands that all life forms innovate or die. Life must find increasingly clever power projection tactics, techniques, and technologies to grow its prosperity margin and continue to survive. When entropy inevitably strikes again and the next major elemental change occurs, innovators often have the last laugh. The mighty dinosaurs fall and the shrews inherit the earth. Now that we have reminded ourselves that we owe our existence to an ecological arms race, let's revisit the topic of predation and ask ourselves how should life compel its organisms to overcome the innovator's dilemma and maximize its chances of survival against entropy? How do we motivate organisms to pursue innovative power projection tactics that are predestined to look inefficient and wasteful? How do we compel ourselves to find the best survival tactics, techniques, and technologies if we can't know what they are a priori? The answer doesn't appear to be intrinsic motivation because that's not what we observe in nature. What we observe in nature is a whole bunch of organisms constantly trying to devour each other, and then narrowly surviving extinction as a direct result of the clever power projection tactics developed to avoid being devoured. Organisms didn't develop warm blood and superior speed, eyesight, and intelligence to survive against a meteor. They did it to survive against each other, as those tactics, techniques, and technologies just happened to make them more capable of surviving a meteor. This would imply that life's approach to solving the innovator's dilemma is extrinsic motivation via predation. From a systemic perspective, life effectively lights a fire under its organism's hindquarters and tells them to innovate or die, figure out better power projection tactics to grow prosperity margin so we can survive in this universe longer, or else be devoured by those who are willing to step up to the task. Like Olympians training under the oxygen deprivation stress of high altitudes, life seems to have figured out how to deliberately stress itself and spur innovation using predation. 
This process breaks up local resource monopolies and filters out the ecologically unfit and uninnovative, re-vectoring precious, limited resources to the organisms which are stronger, more intelligent, and more adaptable. Why would life want to do this? Because an organism that is incapable of innovating is an organism that is incapable of adapting to the environment. Organisms which can't adapt to the environment are destined to die to entropy anyway, so there's little for life to lose by cutting their losses, killing off their weak and unadaptable organisms early, and re-vectoring those resources to better survivors. On the surface, this seems like a cold and unsympathetic strategy. But it's not as cold as unsympathetic as the universe hovering above our heads, seemingly determined to kill us all. Moreover, 4 billion years worth of data suggests predation is an incontrovertible winning strategy for survival, hence its ubiquity in nature. Section 3.6 The Survivor's Dilemma Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Dylan Thomas Section 3.6.1 Survival is not a birthright. It must be earned. Survival and prosperity do not appear to be birthrights. Nothing in our observations of the universe indicates that life on Earth has an inherent right to live or to keep living. This would imply that survival is an act of earning life's seat at the table by countervailing the formidable entropy of the universe. The key to accomplishing this daunting task is for life to innovate and develop increasingly clever power projection tactics, techniques, and technologies. The power we project must be used to capture the precious resources we need to survive because the universe does not appear to be inclined to part with them otherwise. The power we project must also be used to continually secure our access to those resources, because predators and entropy seem to always want to take them. To innovate as quickly as possible, life's emergent behavior is to compel its organisms to keep searching for better power projection tactics under threat of predation. As birds and mammals demonstrated, the competition for better power projection tactics is daunting, but the strategy clearly works. While predators and prey compete against each other in ecological arms races, their discoveries double as a means to countervail entropy. The better organisms get at projecting power between and amongst themselves the better life itself gets at earning its place between and amongst the stars. Nature gives us abundant supporting evidence to indicate that the more organisms battle with each other, the more they develop better power projection tactics which help them lower their BCRA and grow their prosperity margin. On a planetary scale, this helps life vector its precious resources to its best survivors. Food, energy, and territory flow to the fittest, those which prove their capacity to countervail entropy. It's as if life uses predation as a testing environment to try out and incubate different power projection tactics in a controlled environment, 
so that when the next meteor hits, it's better prepared. Unfortunately, nature's process of compelling life to overcome the innovator's dilemma seems to have led to yet another dilemma, one that has driven sapiens to the brink of self-destruction via nuclear annihilation. More on this in the next chapter. The author calls this dilemma the survivor's dilemma. Section 3.6.2 Organisms have no way of knowing how secure is secure enough, creating a survivor's dilemma. As previously discussed, organisms must ensure their BCRA levels stay below the environment's hazardous BCRA level to survive and prosper. Every local environment has a BCRA level which qualifies as hazardous, serving as a threshold where an organism is virtually guaranteed to be attacked. This level changes depending on the environment and organisms can increase their chances of survival if they adjust their own BCRA so that it stays below the environment's hazardous BCRA level. The farther an organism's BCRA level is below the hazardous BCRA level, the better. These dynamics are illustrated in Figure 16, an illustration of the survivor's dilemma. The margin between the organism's BCRA level and the environment's hazardous BCRA level, in other words, the BCRA level at which an organism is likely to be attacked within a given predatory environment is the organism's prosperity margin. An organism is safe to increase its BCRA within the prosperity margin without reaching a hazardous state. Keeping one's BCRA below the hazardous BCRA level seems straightforward, but it's challenging because organisms don't know what the hazardous BCRA level is. That level is a moving target. It changes depending on conditions outside of what organisms can see or control. They can only guess how far they can afford to raise their BCRA before they put themselves in a hazardous state. To make matters even more complicated, the hazardous BCRA level tends to drop as the environment becomes increasingly more predatory and CCCH and the rate at which it drops is also unknown. This means organisms don't know how much prosperity margin they have, nor how quickly it's shrinking. Section 3.6.3 Organisms have three options for solving the survivor's dilemma. I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Proverb Origin unknown. This lack of critical information creates a dilemma for organisms seeking to survive and grow in a CCCH environment. The author calls this dilemma the survivor's dilemma. The dilemma happens because growing resource abundance causes an organism's benefit of attack to increase, which in turn causes its BCRA to increase. In response to this challenge, organisms have three strategic options. If an organism does nothing to counterbalance the effect of increasing its benefit of attack, then its BCRA will climb and its prosperity margin will shrink. We can call this option one 
If an organism perfectly counterbalances the effect of increasing its benefit of attack with an equivalent amount of cost of attack, then its BCRA will stay fixed. But its prosperity margin will shrink because the increasingly CCCH nature of the environment naturally causes the environment's hazardous BCRA level to fall. We can call this option 2. The last remaining option for an organism seeking resource abundance growth is to counterbalance the effect of its growing benefit of attack with a greater amount of cost of attack to ensure its BCRA continuously shrinks. We can call this option 3. Note how even option 3 doesn't necessarily prevent prosperity margin from shrinking. The organism must execute option 3 in such a way that the organism's BCRA falls faster than the rate at which the environment's hazardous BCRA level falls to prevent prosperity margin from shrinking. Survival is therefore much like the proverb about outrunning the bear, where the bear is the local environment's hazardous BCRA level, and it's completely invisible to the organisms trying to outrun it. Fortunately, one doesn't need to outrun the invisible bear. They just need to outrun their neighbors who are also trying to outrun the invisible bear. In this scenario, it's clear that option 3 is the most strategically optimal because it's the only option which actually runs away from the direction of the invisible bear. Option 2 stands still, and option 1 runs towards the invisible bear. It seems straightforward, but option 3 is deceptively difficult because organisms don't know how much cost of attack they need to survive. The organism needs to grow enough cost of attack to ensure its BCRA drops quicker than the hazardous BCRA level, but the organism knows practically nothing about that level. It doesn't know what level qualifies as hazardous nor the rate at which that level is falling as the environment becomes more CCCH. The organism's prosperity margin could even drop to zero while it executes option 3, simply because it isn't aggressive enough. The reader is now invited to place themselves in the shoes of an organism faced with the task of survival. You are technically already in these shoes, whether you accept that or not. You have a power projection budget of X watts. What do you do with those watts? Do you put those X watts towards growing resource abundance, thus increasing your benefit of attack, or towards growing your ability to impose severe physical costs on your murderous and fratricidal neighbors, thus increasing your cost of attack? The precise amount of benefit of attack or cost of attack you need to grow is impossible for you to know because it depends on factors outside of what you can see and control. Factors like what hungry, envious neighbors are choosing to do with their watts. Section 3.6.3 The strategic shelling point is to continuously decrease the benefit-to-cost ratio of attack. The survivor's dilemma creates a game-theoretic situation where you can't trust your neighbor, you don't know what BCRA level qualifies as hazardous, and you don't know how quickly the hazardous BCRA level is chasing you. 
This means you don't know how much prosperity margin you have or how quickly it's dwindling. You know you should try to outrun your neighbors from the invisible bear, but you don't know how quickly you need to run because you can't see the invisible bear. In this situation, the optimal strategy is to simply run as fast as you can afford to run. To invest your watts into keeping your BCRA falling as quickly as you can afford for it to fall, this will minimize the probability of causing your prosperity margin—in other words, the distance between you and the invisible bear—to close while still giving you the opportunity to grow your resource abundance. It's like two-pedal driving, where your cost of attack is the throttle pedal. And your benefit of attack is the brake pedal. To survive, you have to keep a heavy foot on the cost of attack pedal at the same time you press the benefit of attack pedal to outrun your neighbors, and you have to constantly manage this. The survivor's dilemma represents the same fundamental challenge as national strategic security. There's no way to know how much security is enough security. A nation can only guess how much security they need based on the intelligence they can collect about their opponent's power projection capabilities. But the only way for a nation to know for sure that they haven't dedicated enough resources toward security is the hard way. This is the same dilemma that all organisms face, no matter what kind of organism they are, and no matter what they think about primordial economics. The organisms which survive are the ones that adopt the shelling point of lowering BCRA as consistently and as affordably as possible. In other words, the organisms which survive are the ones who learn to continuously maximize their capacity and inclination to impose severe physical costs on their neighbors. In this environment, a significant premium is placed on dual-use power projection tactics, techniques, and technologies—tactics which only serve to increase the benefit of attack are strategically compromising. It's more favorable to develop power projection tactics which allow an organism to spend their watts capturing resources and imposing physical costs on neighbors. To ensure their BCRA level continues to fall as quickly as possible. Unfortunately, when multiple organisms adopt the same shelling point, it makes the local environment more CCCH because everyone dedicates a disproportional number of their watts towards finding increasingly more clever ways to impose severe physical costs on each other. These dynamics cause the hazardous BCRA to fall even faster, making the invisible bear pick up more speed. Section three point six point five: The survivor's dilemma explains why nature's top survivors are so powerful and mean-looking. The emergent effect of these dynamics explains why wild animals look and act the way they do. Ever notice how nature's survivors at the top of the food chain look so consistently tough? The survivor's dilemma offers an explanation. Top-performing organisms are pressing the cost of attack pedal harder than the benefit of attack pedal. They focus on making sure they stay well equipped with all the latest and greatest dual-use power projection tactics 
that enable them to grow their benefit of attack and grow their cost of attack simultaneously, with heavier emphasis on growing the cost of attack. Their teeth are sharpened. Their nails are sharpened. Why? To impose severe, physical costs on their neighbors by puncturing them. Life's top survivors are frequently covered in equipment, which empowers them to pinch, puncture, and bludgeon. They have thick suits of armor backed by rigid skeletons, often with big muscles hanging from those skeletons. They're what some people might call scary, or aggressive, or even repugnant due to their capacity and inclination to impose severe physical costs on their neighbors. Have you ever stopped to consider why top performers in nature look the way they do? Why aren't nature's top performers consistently fat, soft, and docile? Once we understand primordial economic game theory, it makes perfect sense why Earth's top performers keep converging on the same characteristics despite being separated by vast quantities of time and distance. We can't allow ourselves to overlook the fact that what we observe in nature is incontrovertibly what survives in nature. The fact that life's top survivors keep converging into the same lean, mean, fighting machines is probably not a coincidence. To believe otherwise is to be guilty of survivorship bias. More on this later. Nature is clearly telling us something. It seems to be telling us that emphasis on cost of attack matters, and it matters quite a lot. It tells us that organisms who burn watts to increase their cost of attack are organisms which survive. It tells us that if we want to prosper and grow, we need to become sharper, both physically and intellectually. Section 3.7 Chasing Infinite Prosperity My life, old sport, my life has got to be like this. It's got to keep going up. J. Gatsby, The Great Gatsby Section 3.7.1 Illustrating the Survivor's Dilemma Using Bowtie Notation Another way to illustrate primordial economics is by using what the author calls bowtie notation. An organism's BCRA can be represented by the knot in the center of a bowtie, where each side of the tie represents benefit of attack and cost of attack, as shown in Figure 17, Bowtie Notations of Primordial Economics. This notation is useful for learning how to think like a predator by visualizing how appetizing organisms are for neighboring life to devour, a practice known as adversarial thinking. Adversarial thinking is useful for improving security because it helps one recognize one's vulnerabilities. Bowtie notation will be used throughout the following chapters to illustrate multiple survival strategies. As discussed in the previous section, a core challenge associated with living in a CCCH environment is growing one's resource abundance, thus increasing benefit of attack, without making oneself an attractive target of opportunity for predators to devour. In other words, 
without increasing BCRA or shrinking prosperity margin. To overcome this challenge, organisms have three options for responding to the survivor's dilemma outlined in the previous section. We can revisit these options and gain further insight using bow tie notation, as shown in figure 18, bow tie illustration of three power projection strategies for pursuing infinite prosperity. Option 1, shown on the left side of figure 18, represents the strategy where organisms use their available watts to grow their resource abundance at a faster rate than their capacity to impose physically prohibitive cost on their attackers. In other words, grow their benefit of attack faster than their cost of attack. This is illustrated as a lopsided bow tie in figure 18 where the quantity associated with the benefit of attack is clearly larger than the quantity associated with the cost of attack. From the organism's point of view, the upside to deploying this strategy is energy efficiency. It can grow more resources with its budget of watts than either of the two other strategies, leading to more rapidly expanding resource abundance. However, from a predator's point of view, organisms which try option 1 represent a target of opportunity because there is more to be gained from attacking the organism than there is to lose. The downside to option 1 is therefore that it shrinks an organism's prosperity margin and makes it increasingly more likely to be devoured. Option 2, shown in the middle of figure 18, represents a power projection tactic where organisms grow their resource abundance and capacity to impose severe physical costs on attackers at an equal rate, in other words, grow their benefit of attack at the same rate as their cost of attack. This is illustrated as an even-sided bow tie which grows over time. The upside to the strategy is the ability to increase resource abundance without causing one's BCRA to increase. The downside of the strategy is that fixed BCRA levels become increasingly more hazardous over time, as environments become increasingly more CCCH, causing prosperity margin to naturally shrink. The reader is invited to turn back to figure 12 for an illustration of this phenomenon. Option 3, shown on the right side of figure 18, represents a power projection tactic where organisms increase their capacity and inclination to impose severe physical costs on attackers at a faster rate than they grow resource abundance. In other words, grow their cost of attack faster than their benefit of attack. This is illustrated as a lopsided bow tie where the quantity associated with their cost of attack is clearly larger than the quantity associated with their benefit of attack. From the organism's point of view, the upside to deploying this tactic is decreasing BCRA and possibly increasing prosperity margin. The downside is perceived energy inefficiency and a potentially slower rate of resource abundance growth. The reader should note that in reality, this downside is not inefficient because the energy is being spent for a clear reason. Security. From a predator's point of view, 
an organism using this strategy represents an undesirable target. The fact that predators choose not to devour this target is proof that the energy expended to increase the organism's cost of attack was not wasted energy. It was worth every watt. Of these three options, option three has the highest probability of long-term survival because it minimizes the organism's BCRA and results in the largest prosperity margin. Option 3 accounts for the unescapable reality that Earth is a dynamic CCCH environment filled with murderous, fratricidal, and cannibalistic predators determined to devour high BCRA organisms. To achieve long-term prosperity, options 1 and 2 require non-CCCH environments, or trust that predators will not be motivated to attack them. Option 3 assumes there is no such thing as a non-CCCH environment. Section 3.7.2 An infinitely prosperous organism is one that can increase its cost of attack ad infinitum. Note how all three power projection options shown in figure 18 point to the same desired end state something the author calls the infinitely prosperous organism. We can define an infinitely prosperous organism as an organism that is capable of growing its prosperity margin ad infinitum. Mathematically, this is only possible if the organism can grow its cost of attack ad infinitum, thus decreasing its BCRA ad infinitum and potentially increasing prosperity margin ad infinitum. With an infinitely growing prosperity margin, an organism can grow its resource abundance without the threat of being devoured. The purpose of conceptualizing an infinitely prosperous organism is to generate the following insight. The key to survival, resource abundance, freedom, and prosperity is to maximize your ability to impose severe physical costs on neighbors. This insight helps us understand the dynamics of primordial economics and the resulting emergent behavior of life at increasing scales. The resource abundance enjoyed by all organisms, organizations, and civilizations alike are simply the byproducts of life aspiring to become an infinitely prosperous organism. We owe our survival, resource abundance, freedom, and prosperity to our physical power projectors, who burn watts to increase our cost of attack and decrease our BCRA. Through this lens, a macroscopic topic as complex as national strategic security can be simplified down to a simple illustration. All of the power projection tactics employed by Sapiens are merely a higher-scale version of the same type of power projection tactics that first emerged during abiogenesis. The lessons of survival are exactly the same, whether we're talking about bacteria, nation-states, or anything in between. Section 3.8 Sticking Together Our need will be the real creator. Plato Section 3.8.1 Hitting a Bounded Prosperity Trap 
Once we understand the strategic dynamics of primordial economics, we can further appreciate the behavior we observe in both nature and society. Organisms of all shapes and sizes appear to be devoted to the task of solving the survivor's dilemma and becoming increasingly prosperous by mastering their ability to project power. However, the path to infinite prosperity is not straightforward. Life has no way of knowing what combination of power projection tactics it needs, nor in what sequence to develop them. This leads to self-induced reversions, unexpected side effects, and innumerable setbacks. Lacking the ability to predict the future or comprehend the complex emergent properties of its environment, life appears to favor trial and error. It simply rolls the dice repeatedly until it lands on something that works. Like fighting fire with fire, life adapts to its randomly changing environment by randomly changing itself, aka evolving. No matter how much prosperity margin it enjoys, life doesn't seem to be inclined to stop searching for better power projection functionality. The threat of predation and an increasingly CCCH environment ensures organisms stay motivated to keep building and testing new features to help them continually minimize their BCRA. With the survivor's dilemma fresh in our minds, let's turn back to the example of our bacterial predators. For nearly 2 billion years, life existed as a murderous and fratricidal soup of single-cell organisms. Under the stress of their environment, bacteria invented different power projection tactics until they eventually stumbled upon a way to mitigate one of life's biggest exogenous threats the relentless bombardment of radiation from the sun. As a means of defense, biologist Henry G. writes, bacteria involved pigments to absorb these harmful rays. Once their energy had been absorbed, it could be put to work. Cyanobacteria used it to drive chemical reactions. Some of these fused carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen atoms together to create sugars and starch. This is the process we call photosynthesis. Harm had become harvest. Earth is the only known planet where fire exists. Astronomers have not discovered another planet with enough oxygen in its environment to catch fire. If they did, this would be a revolutionary discovery, because it would represent a telltale sign of life on another planet. The ability to effectively feed on solar energy and poop out oxygen was no doubt a major evolutionary step for life on Earth, but like many new innovations, photosynthesis did not initially look like a success story. The oxygen exhaust produced by photosynthesis was devastating to the local environment because of its tendency to catch fire. For bacteria born in a world without oxygen, Getting covered with oxygen was like getting covered with napalm. The discovery of photosynthesis literally backfired on life, causing the first of many mass extinctions in Earth's history, as generation upon generation of living things were burned alive. Existing as nothing but a murderous, fratricidal, and burning soup of single-cell organisms, 
The state of life around 2 billion years ago could be described as a bounded prosperity trap. The author defines a bounded prosperity trap as a situation where the inability to sufficiently grow the cost of attack causes an organism to be unable to grow their prosperity margin any further, and they become trapped within either a fixed or shrinking margin of prosperity. Having a bounded prosperity margin means an organism can no longer grow its resource abundance without automatically causing its prosperity margin to shrink to the point of being devoured by the local CCCH environment. Bounded prosperity traps show that when organisms hit a ceiling on their ability to project power, it translates directly into a degradation in prosperity. The ability to countervail entropy is severely degraded or halted altogether, and progress plateaus. Life plateaued at the single cellular level as it struggled to overcome its CCCH environment. It hit a barrier on its ability to scale its power projection capacity to lower BCRA and countervail entropy. Fortunately, as Plato observed, Life's needs are its creator. The modern form of this expression is, necessity is the mother of invention. Through continuous iteration, life managed to find the power projection tactics it needed to overcome this plateau and escape its bounded prosperity trap. Among those innovations was another one of the most effective power projection tactics ever discovered, cooperation. Section 3.8.2 Projecting More Power by Summing It Together Before diving into a technical discussion about cooperation, it's important to note that 2 billion years ago, organisms had neither eyes nor brains. They had no capacity to see or understand what they were doing at any conceptually meaningful level because, as far as we can tell, both sight and foresight require multiple cells to form a brain. This means early cooperation was an unconscious phenomenon. Bacteria weren't consciously aware of what they were doing or the impact it would have. Organisms didn't decide to stick together because of their desire for a better future. As best as we can tell, bacteria are incapable of understanding abstract concepts like the future. Cells didn't wake up and decide to turn off their predatory nature and begin cooperating because they suddenly felt bad about billions of years of murder and fratricide. They also didn't start cooperating because they believed teamwork and interdependence could lead to a greater good for all single-celled kind. On the contrary, the reason why cells first started sticking together was because they were literally stuck together. This phenomenon explains why one of the most common forms of attack in nature is a colonization attack. Individual organisms simply act in their own self-interest to capture a small piece of territory for themselves and defend their access to it. They don't need to be intentionally working together or conscious of what's happening to execute the strategy. They just need to have aligned self-interests. At larger scales, a colonization attack is sometimes called an invasion. 
An invasive species is one that colonizes a given territory, and colonization can happen either intentionally or unintentionally. The undisputed masters of colonization attacks on Earth are the serial invaders we now call plants. Powered by photosynthesis, plants have abundant watts available to devote themselves to mastering colonization attacks. This power projection tactic has worked quite well for them, as flora now represent 80% of Earth's biomass, dwarfing bacteria's 15%. Remaining organisms, to include all animals, reptiles, birds, fishes, etc., only represent a measly 5% of Earth's biomass. The second example of cellular cooperation is clustering. Mutations in small bacterial cells called archaeon, which several scientists argue was spurred by the sudden-onset trauma of photosynthesis and the resulting great oxidation-extinction event, empowered them to form velcro-like tendrils that physically capture neighboring cells by sticking to them and entrapping them under a common membrane. It's important to emphasize that Archeon did not bargain with neighboring cells, engage in diplomacy with them, or draft treaties. They captured their neighbors by force, the same way all living creatures capture all physical resources. Archeon became dependent on neighboring cells for nutrients, so they learned how to entrap their neighbors with sticky tendrils to secure access to those nutrients. The fact that the relationships they formed were symbiotic doesn't negate the fact that this evolution succeeded because one organism developed a power projection technology to physically overpower and entrap the other organism. At larger scales, clustering organisms via entrapment and forcing them to work together is given a different name, conquering. As will be discussed in the next chapter, the undisputed masters of clustering attacks on Earth are the serial conquerors we now call sapiens. Section 3.8.3 Cooperation is first and foremost a physical power projection tactic. As previously discussed, pressurized membranes like cellular walls are highly effective power projection tools capable of exerting physical power to capture nutrient-rich volumes of space from the surrounding environment. Entrapped under the protection of a common pressurized membrane formed by archaeon tendrils, semi-symbiotic cells experienced a step-function increase in their ability to impose severe physical costs on their neighbors and thus enjoyed a step-function increase in their prosperity margin. This enabled them to form booming, interdependent economies that produced vast amounts of resource abundance in virtually the exact same way as what had occurred two billion years prior, when subcellular particles found themselves in a similar situation under the protection of cellular membranes. These colonies of clustered cells grew increasingly more interdependent and reliant on each other for vital nutrients, materials, and gene swapping. They were able to form highly complex structures, self-assembling into increasingly more specialized workforces 
trading various organic goods and services, and becoming ever more efficient, productive, and resource abundant. Through this special combination of robust membrane power projection, security, and high-functioning internal economy, life was able to follow a multi-step biological path towards ever-increasing structure until it managed to self-assemble into complex, massive-scale economies we now call multicellular life. The takeaway? Cooperation is a physical power projection tactic that emerged unconsciously, useful first and foremost for its ability to help organisms survive longer by summing their cost of attack together to decrease their BCRA and buy them more prosperity margin. Multicellular life and its remarkable levels of interdependence can be described as the byproduct of organisms simply having to occupy the same space or by inventing power projection tactics to physically capture and entrap their neighbors. By entrapping neighboring organisms for their nutrients, Archeon inadvertently discovered how to tap into their neighbor's physical power projection capacity to buy themselves more prosperity margin for comparatively little effort. The emergence of cooperation is quite remarkable when you stop to think about it under the lens of primordial economics. It is such a deceptively simple and effective power projection strategy that it's hard to believe it took nearly 2 billion years for life to begin mastering it at the cellular level, although clearly life mastered cooperation at the subcellular level much earlier. To increase the cost of attack, simply sum it together. To increase your BCRA more than you could ever do alone, tap into your neighbor's exogenous supply of physical power. This strategy doesn't even require thinking. Brainless organisms cooperate at a systemic level by merely occupying the same volume, colonization, or by being involuntarily and or unconsciously enveloped by the same membrane, clustering. Either way, these organisms achieved something remarkable. They increased their ability to impose physically prohibitive costs on attackers with little additional expenditure of watts and they escaped a bounded prosperity trap. Like much of our biological history, the emergence of cooperation is an ironic story and quite relevant to our own lives and personal experiences. By constantly fighting against each other and then literally having a fire lit under them, single-celled life escaped their bounded prosperity trap by evolving new cooperation tactics. The corresponding drop in BCRA gave cooperative cells abundant prosperity margin to work with. Not only were they empowered to develop thicker, stronger membranes that could survive against oxygen napalm, multicellular organisms were also able to grow their resource abundance to new and unexplored heights. By simply sticking together, organisms started solving the survivor's dilemma using option 3 without even being conscious of it. Section 3.8.4 Cooperate or Die Survival Dynamics There's always a bigger fish. Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, Star Wars 
just like how the emergence of phagocytosis, in other words, cell eating, represented a dual-use power projection tactic which sparked predation and the innovate-or-die survival dynamic observed in nature, so too did the emergence of cooperation. Sticking together is a dual-use power projection tactic which influences both sides of the BCRA equation. Cooperation can be used to grow resource abundance, or it can be used to increase capacity to impose physically prohibitive costs on neighbors. Cooperation therefore introduces its own cooperate-or-die shelling point, where the emergence of cooperation begets the need for more cooperation. We have established that the survivor's dilemma gives organisms a strategic imperative to grow their cost of attack as fast as possible. They can grow their cost of attack individually by discovering innovative new ways to impose higher physically prohibitive costs on attackers all on their own, but this requires them to spend their own watts. Alternatively, organisms can grow their cost of attack without having to spend their own watts, simply by learning how to cooperate with neighbors and sum their cost of attack together as if they were a single, cohesive organism. In both cases, organisms execute the Option 3 strategy where they grow their cost of attack first to buy themselves enough prosperity margin to grow their benefit of attack without the threat of raising their BCRA to a hazardous level, enabling them to increase resource abundance and survive in a CCCH environment filled with predators and entropy. These dynamics can be illustrated in bowtie notation, as shown in figure 19 below. Illustration of the grow cost of attack first, grow benefit of attack second, survival strategy using bowtie notation. Now let's consider a multi-step scenario where 12 different organisms with different BCRA levels live together within a highly CCCH environment. Let's call this scenario the bigger fish scenario and illustrate it in bowtie notation using figure 20. Step 1 of the bigger fish scenario. We have established that organisms with high BCRA levels are likely to be devoured by hungry neighbors. This means we can expect that organisms 2, 9, and 12 will not survive in this CCCH environment, so we can go ahead and cross them out in step 2, shown in figure 12. Step 2 of bigger fish scenario. Now let's say organisms 1, 5, and 6 start cooperating to form a multicellular organism named alpha. At the same time, organisms 7, 8, and 11 are compelled to start cooperating to form a multicellular organism named bravo. This is illustrated in figure 22, step 3 of bigger fish scenario. We now have a situation where the environment has changed to become substantially more hazardous for the remaining three organisms which didn't get the memo on survival and have done nothing to increase their cost of attack by learning how to cooperate with each other. The emergence of cooperation has driven the hazardous BCRA level for this environment down substantially since multicellular organisms now have a much larger cost of attack together 
than they did individually. Therefore, they have more ability to project power to capture resources than their non-cooperating neighbors. Now, organisms like number 10 are in much greater danger even though their BCRA didn't change. Organism 10 is now the most attractive target of opportunity in the environment, therefore the most likely to get devoured. This is illustrated in Figure 23, Step 4 of Bigger Fish Scenario. The Bigger Fish Scenario illustrates how keeping one's BCRA fixed is not enough for survival when operating in increasingly CCCH environments. There are major existential and strategic benefits to growing the cost of attack that shouldn't be discredited, even if the organism has no intent to actually use them. The emergence of cooperation only accelerates the benefit of growing the cost of attack. The top survivors in this scenario were the ones who learned to cooperate. Now take this dynamic and scale it up from 12 organisms to more bacteria on Earth than there are stars in the universe. At this scale, the benefits of cooperation become unfathomably complex and blossom into the world of multicellular organisms we see around us today. Cooperation started its own ecological arms race by giving rise to a self-reinforcing feedback loop where the discovery of increasingly more effective cooperation tactics begets the need for increasingly more effective cooperation tactics. If your murderous and fratricidal neighbors figure out how to cooperate at scale, then you better figure out an equal or better form of cooperation, or else you could become their dinner. It might not be feasible for you to grow your cost of attack by 100x to fend off an army of 100 cooperating cells on your own. But it is feasible for you to raise your own army of a hundred cells. Cooperation is therefore a strategic imperative because of the survivor's dilemma. What does this cooperate or die dynamic do for life at the systemic level? The same thing predation does for life at the systemic level. The emergence of cooperation and its adoption by predators makes life exceedingly more compelled to innovate better cooperation tactics to countervail threats and to buy more prosperity margin. This, in turn, makes life better equipped to survive its environment and to countervail entropy. Organisms which emerge from the fray as champions of survival in a world full of multicellular predatory armies are the most fit and the most cooperative. Section 3.9 Pack Animals Wherever we go, this family is our fortress. Jake Sully, Avatar Section 3.9.1 Keeping Up with the Joneses New Power Projection Tactics Create New Shelling Points Macroscopic life conquered Earth at a pace that would likely make Genghis Khan blush. As it grew, life split across different evolutionary branches and developed unique internal economies with clever approaches to regulating activities like growth, metabolism, reproduction, and gene carrying. 
some of the more advanced cells formed dedicated command and control centers called nuclei. Armed with highly advanced command and control centers backed by highly productive internal economies, eukaryotic life dramatically increased the rate at which it innovated, developing new power projection tactics at a significantly more rapid pace. The combination of nuclei and multicellular cooperation proved to be especially powerful, giving rise to the formation of large multicellular superpowers called plants and animals. Primordial economics accounts for innumerable power projection tactics employed by plants, animals, and other multicellular eukaryotic organisms. A tiger's stripes, for example, help it capture resources more effectively by closing the animal's attack distance on prey. A zebra's stripes help it impose more physically prohibitive costs on attackers by degrading their attacker's visual targeting capability. Camouflage is therefore a dual-use power projection technology which enables animals to affect both sides of their BCRA equation. It's therefore not surprising that many of life's top survivors utilize camouflage. Teeth, armor, skeletons, digestive systems, eyes, claws, brains, feathers, and countless other innovations can be conceptualized as successful power projection tactics too. These features enabled life to fulfill its primordial economic duty of capturing more resources and imposing higher physical costs on attackers. Each one bought their host more prosperity margin and contributed to a global-scale ecological arms race. Once skeletons emerged, skeletons became a new biological shelling point. If your murderous and hungry neighbors have vertebrae, then it's in your survival interest to have vertebrae too. If your murderous and hungry neighbors have eyeballs, then it's in your survival interest to have eyeballs too. Whenever a new power projection tactic is successful, it often becomes a focal point. Absent the ability to trust your neighbor or leave the neighborhood, it's in your best interest to ensure your power projection capabilities match or exceed your neighbors. If your neighbors can use their fancy new power projection technology, to grow their cost of attack faster than you can, that means you could become the organism with the highest BCRA in the neighborhood, which means you become the most attractive target of opportunity for your neighbors to devour. The survivor's dilemma creates a keeping up with the Joneses effect, where it becomes existentially necessary to stay on par with the power projection capacity of your neighbors. Section 3.9.2 Same Functions, Different Forms Despite their different appearances, many power projection tactics developed by multicellular eukaryotic life over the past 2 billion years have been variations of the same well-worked themes. As life grew to massive multicellular scales, primordial economics didn't change. Therefore, the dynamics of survival didn't change. Innovate or die. Cooperate or die. Lower BCRA as fast as possible. Avoid bounded prosperity traps. 
keep changing and searching for better power projection tactics, and strive to become an infinitely prosperous organism. These survival strategies have proven themselves to be effective over vast time frames filled with many elemental shifts and entropic curveballs. We can look back at our biological history and observe that many of life's most successful evolutions were significant because of how they helped life execute these proven power projection strategies more effectively or on larger scales. Many of them appear to be functional repeats of the same dual-use power projection tactics discovered billions of years ago by our pioneering microscopic ancestors. The wolf's snarling mouth is a more complex and higher-scale functional repeat of phagocytosis. Other power projection tactics like pressurized membranes have too many functional repeats to count. We give them different names like bark or epidermis depending on the species they protect, but their function is practically identical. In systems engineering, it is common for the form of a system to change over time, but its function to remain the same. The function of a typing system, for example, has remained consistently the same regardless of whether its form changes from a mechanical typewriter to a touchscreen. Systems thinking can be useful for making insightful observations about the phenomenon we observe in everyday life. By recognizing the difference between the form of a system and the function of a system, and focusing one's attention on the functional similarities, it's often possible to see similarities between things which wouldn't otherwise appear to be related. Using systems thinking, we can conceptualize how a microscopically thin soap bubble of organic molecules fighting for nutrient-rich volume around a deep-sea hydrothermal vent 4 billion years ago are not all that functionally different from a nation-state. Neither of these two vastly different-looking things are all that functionally different from a plant or animal fighting over food and territory either. Why? Because they are different forms of the same system, life performing the same function. All life forms are cut from the same cloth and fighting for survival effectively the same way, including and especially humans. But what specifically is the function of life? This is impossible to know. Perhaps it is simply to countervail the entropy of the universe. If we accept this, then consider what subfunctions are necessary to countervail entropy. To countervail entropy, life must learn how to survive and prosper. If we accept this, then consider what subfunctions are necessary to survive and prosper. To survive and prosper, life must grow its cost of attack to lower its BCRA as much as possible and buy itself as much prosperity margin as it can afford using scarce natural resources. This will allow it to grow and thrive in a reality that is incontrovertibly congested, contested, competitive, and hostile, teeming with predators. If, for the sake of argument, we accept these assertions, then we can't overlook the fact that survivorship, prosperity, 
and the ability to countervail entropy all depend on the same activity, burning watts to grow the cost of attack as much as possible. With these concepts in mind, the reader is invited to use systems thinking to re-examine what they observe across both nature and society and look for functional similarities. There are many insights to be gained from this approach. The reader is invited to use systems thinking to study nature and society and answer the following question. How does this behavior help increase the cost of attack? Our answers to this question can be quite insightful, especially when it comes to understanding the value of new power projection technologies like Bitcoin. Section 3.9.3 Organizations have the same power projection dynamics as organisms. The strategic imperative to grow one's cost of attack by tapping into the exogenous power supply of one's neighbors explains why life's top survivors became so inclined to cooperate. The phenomenon of cooperation has emerged at every biological scale subcellular, cellular, multicellular, multi-organism, and even multi-species. When multiple organisms tap into each other's power projection supply, they form a single cohesive unit called an organization. An organization is a larger form of an organism, no different than how multiple subcellular microorganic compounds organize to form a single cell, or how multiple cells organize to form a single multicellular organism. We can therefore account for an organization's BCRA in the same way that we account for an organism's BCRA. We can also represent it the same way in bowtie notation, as shown in figure 24. Bowtie notation of organisms forming organizations. Given what we know about cooperate-or-die survival dynamics and the existential imperative to increase the cost of attack, it's no surprise that many of life's most successful plants and animals are instinctively programmed to cooperate. Plants used cooperation tactics to become the most massive form of life on Earth. Animals can also cooperate at an impressive scale, and in seemingly more dynamic ways, with arguably more complex emergent behavior. Animals which are especially attuned to cooperating on a large scale are called pack animals. Pack animals clearly understand that an effective way to impose severe physical costs on attackers is to leverage the power of their pack. One wildebeest may not be able to project enough power to prevent a menacing predator like a lion from attacking it. But, one wildebeest backed by the exogenous power supply of 99 other wildebeests certainly can. By working together as a pack, each animal gains access to significantly more power projection capacity to impose more physical costs on attackers. Every animal operating within a pack enjoys a step-function increase in their cost of attack, a substantial reduction in their individual BCRA, and an increase in their prosperity margin, at virtually no individual cost to themselves. 
In many ways, cooperation is a survivor's life hack. Highly cooperative packs function as single organisms devoted to the task of growing their collective cost of attack, minimizing their BCRA and buying as much prosperity margin as they can safely grow resource abundance and increase their benefit of attack. Pack animals are connoisseurs of the Survivor's Dilemma Option 3 strategy shown in Figure 18, demonstrably capable of achieving high levels of prosperity in comparison to non-cooperative organisms. When highly cohesive packs function as singular organisms, they form yet another variation of a pressurized, porous membrane capable of capturing nutrient-rich volumes by force. By sticking together, packs repeat the exact same evolutionary process as subcellular and cellular organisms. They grow increasingly more interdependent and reliant on each other for vital nutrients, minerals, and gene swapping. They form highly complex internal economies, self-assembling into increasingly more specialized workforces, trading various organic goods and services, and becoming ever more efficient, productive, and resource-abundant. Through a special combination of robust defense and high-functioning internal economy, PACs follow a multi-step biological path towards ever-increasing structure until they self-assemble into the complex, massive-scale economies we give names like flocks, flights, herds, mobs, gaggles, tribes, cities, city-states, and nation-states. As pack animals become increasingly more interdependent, they specialize in performing different functions. Because of the strategic importance of increasing their cost of attack, Many animal packs have physiologically specialized workforces devoted to the task of projecting power to impose physically prohibitive costs on attackers. How they specialize varies between species. It's usually via sexual dimorphism. Either the male or female evolves the strength or tools to be the primary power projector. But a ubiquitous trend is to dedicate some portion of the workforce to doing battle. This trend is quite noteworthy. Despite its benefits, cooperation isn't easy. Pack animals have their own individual brains. Individual members of every pack have their own individual needs and priorities independent of the pack's collective priorities. To cooperate at a large scale, pack animals must learn how to negotiate between their individual needs and the needs of the pack as a whole. Navigating this becomes especially tricky when it comes to feeding and breeding. Compromises must be made between the individual's needs and the pack's needs regarding resource control and ownership. Packs must adopt heuristics for determining the state of ownership and chain of custody of the pack's collective resources between and among pack members. This is called establishing a dominance hierarchy, or more colloquially known as a pecking order.